Welcome to the Valley Avon Podcast, a weekly podcast provided by Valley Community Baptist Church, located in Avon, Connecticut. Well, today we are starting a three-week series on relationships, which has to beg the question, why are we doing a three-week series on relationships. In 2018, the British Prime Minister appointed what is probably the world's first ever Minister of Loneliness. Tracy Crouch was appointed the Minister of Loneliness because studies in the UK and around the world indicated that people were struggling in increasing numbers and percentages with loneliness. And Tracy Crouch knew a little bit about loneliness because years before she was appointed the Minister of Loneliness, she had given birth to her first child. And when she did, she realized she was all of a sudden alone with the responsibilities of motherhood, cut off from some of the relationships that had sustained her to that point. And years before that, actually, when she became first a member of parliament, she discovered, again, that you can be lonely because here's the truth of the matter. You can actually be surrounded by people and yet still utterly and completely alone. And so Tracy Crouch was appointed to address the problem of loneliness. It turns out that we are struggling to build healthy, life-giving relationships. In fact, as Minister of Loneliness, Tracy Crouch created a hotline that people could call to reach out for help with their problems. And I want to read you the transcript of just one of the calls that they received on that hotline. I think this just expresses beautifully, poignantly, what loneliness feels like. One caller said, I think that the thing about being lonely is that it makes it feel like no one really knows you and that, you know, if you disappeared, just slipped away, there'd be no real record of who you were. I think that maybe I self-harm because I want it to be recorded, this sort of pain inside that takes so much, so much of my time. And I want it to be shown physically. I just want to see it so it's not only in my head. And this collar really expresses what loneliness can feel like and, and reminds us that we are struggling to build healthy, life-giving relationships. But you know, it takes skills to build healthy, life-giving relationships. And and we want healthy, life-giving relationships. In fact, the truth of the matter is, we need healthy, life-giving relationships. But to build those healthy, life-giving relationships takes skills, and the Bible addresses those skills that we need to build those healthy, life-giving relationships. And so we want to look at what the Bible says 
about those relationships and about those skills. And the first skill that we begin with this week is the skill of telling the truth. And this is an important skill when it comes to relationships because, frankly, we believe some myths about relationships. Some of us believe the myth about relationships that we don't really need healthy, life-giving relationships. We're good on our own. And some of us are afraid of building healthy, life-giving relationships because we've tried in the past and failed, or we've tried in the past and we've been hurt, and we're afraid of trying again. And so we convince ourselves that we're better off either alone or better off surrounded by a very small group of people that we let anywhere near us. And so it may perhaps be the most important skill that we need in building healthy, life-giving relationships that we tell the truth. And when I say tell the truth, you may think that I am encouraging you to speak truth and love to all of the people around you. And that's not what I'm saying at all. Because when it comes to healthy, life-giving relationships, the first person that we need to tell the truth to is ourselves. We have to tell ourselves the truth about healthy, life-giving relationships. And that truth is that we need relationships. We need relationships. I don't know if it is surprising to you to read and hear read in Genesis chapter 2 that God said it is not good And it's surprising to me to read in Genesis chapter 2 that God said it is not good because I've read Genesis chapter 1. And in Genesis chapter 1, we have the recounting of the creation of the heavens and the earth. And we read time after time that God spoke and it was so. And then we read next that God said it is good. Time and time, God said it is good. It is good. It is very good good. But then we turn the page to Genesis chapter 2, and we read increasing detail about how God created humanity. We read that God took dirt from the ground and formed it into the shape of a man, and then he breathed the breath of life into that man, and the man became a living being. And God put that man in a place and then saw that the man was alone and said, Genesis chapter 2 verse 18, it is not good. God saw that the man was alone and said, it is not good, which is not to say that God made a mistake. It is simply to say that God's work of creating is not yet complete. Now, why did say God say about the man being alone that it is not good? To to understand that, you have to understand that back in Genesis chapter 1, we read that God created humankind in his own image. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we read, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now, there is a lot of theology packed into those two verses, and we can't cover all of that theology today, but we read in those two verses that God created human beings, humankind, in his image. In the image of God, he created human beings. And what does that mean? Theologians debate what that means. And there are so many things we could say about it, what it means to be created in the image of God. In many ways, it simply means that the imprint of God is upon us. Somehow, we resemble God who made us. But among the things that it certainly means that we are created in the image of God is that God himself exists in relationship. The doctrine of the Trinity tells us that God is one being in three persons eternally, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, God in himself has relationship, and God creates us in his image then. And one of the ways that we are created in his image is that we are created for relationship. God made us for relationship with him and with others. So God says when we are not in relationship with others, it is not good. And all of creation is searched to find one who can be the man's partner, his helper. God brings in front of the man all the creatures of the earth, the livestock, the beasts of the field, the birds of the air. The man speaks over them, and that becomes the name that each of those creatures is given. But among them, there is no suitable partner found for the man. Why? Because none of them are created in the image of God. None of them are image bearers. And the only suitable partner for the man, the only one who can truly fill that need for relationship is another one created in God's image. And so God causes the man to fall into a deep sleep, takes a rib from the man, and from that rib fashions woman, another one made in his image. And now they are partners for one another. There is another image bearer in creation. But look at the profoundly relational world that God has created in Genesis chapter 2. We find at the end of Genesis chapter 2 that God is making us for relationship with him. As we turn the pages from Genesis chapter 2 to Genesis chapter 3, we find throughout that God is in the garden with us, present with human beings, face to face, walking with us, talking with us on a regular basis. We are created for relationship with him. And we are created in relationship with one another. There is as yet only the man and the woman, but they are together in relationship. The, the Bible says that they are one flesh, that, that they are naked in front of one another and unashamed. And, and look at what that means, not just about the nature of couples, but what it says about human nature, that here at the beginning of all things, we had no need to protect ourselves from one another. There was no shame because there was no guilt. There was no guilt because there was no sin. There was no sin. There was no guilt. There was no shame. There was no threat. There was no need to protect ourselves from one another. We found great fulfillment in our relationships with one another. And so look at what 
God is telling us. We were created for relationship. We need relationship. But then as we continue to let the story of creation unfold, we find that sin broke our most important relationships. Because as we turn the page to Genesis chapter three, we discover first of all that that sin broke our relationship with God. The first human beings sinned, and as soon as they sinned, they recognized that something was wrong and they hid from God. Sin entered the world, with it came guilt, and behind guilt came shame and a feeling of threat, and they hid from God. And then as Genesis chapter 3 unfolds, we recognize that God cast them out of the Garden of Eden. It, it says, he drove out the man, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, the Lord placed the cherubim, that's angelic beings, and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And so we discover here, not only that human beings are cast out of the Garden of Eden, but they're no longer going to have that easy access, that face-to-face access to God the Father. They will not see him and talk with him on a regular basis because sin has broken human beings' relationship with God. But at the same time, we find that sin broke our relationships with each other. As soon as the first human beings sinned, it says they discovered, they realized that they were naked. Why? because they knew all of a sudden that they were under threat, they were vulnerable. And they felt that threat and that vulnerability because they were ashamed. They were ashamed because they felt guilt. They felt guilt because they had sinned. And so everything changed between human beings. We suddenly became somehow a threat to one another instead of simply a partner to one another. And we see this unfolding in Genesis chapter four because Adam and Eve had two children, Cain and Abel. And we read that Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother, Abel, and killed him. And you may say, okay, well, this is, this is one sin. This is one crime scene, if you will, in Genesis chapter four. But it's not simply one sin. One murder, one crime. This tells us something fundamental about human nature, that there is violence and murder and fear in our hearts as a result of the fall because sin broke our relationships with each other. Sin broke our relationship with God and with each other because sin has actually broken us such that broken stuff comes out of us naturally. In the New Testament, Paul talks about this. Paul writes about the flesh. And frequently when the Apostle Paul is writing about flesh, he's not talking about our our bodies. He's talking about our sinful, fallen natures. And Paul says, after the fall, because sin is the part of our nature now, There are works of the flesh, and these are things that he says just come out of us naturally. He addresses it in Galatians chapter 5, where he writes, now, and and I want you to look carefully at what I'm going to read, because I want you to see that these works of the flesh that Paul is talking about are bookended on either end by things that we recognize as big deals. But what I want you to see is what he says in the middle. 
Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Look at the bookend. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery. Those are the kind of big deal sins at the beginning that we think of. But look at what he puts in the middle. Enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, and envy. And then he goes back to a bookend, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. What Paul is saying is that in addition to the headline sins in our lives, something has happened in our hearts that has crushed who we are as relating creatures. We are now torn apart by things like anger and envy and jealousy and division. So our capacity for relationship is just nearly destroyed. Sin, as it turns out, is continuing to break our relationships. The the damage that sin has done in the past, in some ways in our world, continues to escalate. And it's showing up in an escalating way in our day and in our age. The Surgeon General of the United States last fall issued a warning about loneliness and the dissolution of social connections in our society. To issue a warning, the Surgeon General had to do a large and longitudinal study of social connections and found that there had been a profound change in our social connections. I'm going to show you a graph, and I recognize that the graph that you are going to see is illegible to most of you in the room. Those of you online are like, oh, I can read every word of that right now. But the ones in the room are saying that looks very small right now. And let me tell you what it means, basically. There is one graph that says our loneliness, the amount of time that we are spending alone, has risen. And there are five other graphs that say that the amount of time that we have spent with other people, this includes family, work associates, casual acquaintances, and close friends, has fallen dramatically. Our social connections are falling apart. In fact, one of the changes that he noted is that between the years 2003 and 2020, the average amount of time that we spent with our good friends in a month fell from 60 hours per month on average to 20 hours per month on average. Now, what does this mean? It means that the Surgeon General is telling us that sin is continuing to break our closest relationships. But the bad news is not the end, because in Christ there is more, because faith in Jesus renews our capacity for relationships. And our faith in Jesus renews our capacity for relationships in some profound ways. In fact, in Jesus, we find that we are adopted into God's family. We may have a profound sense of dislocation socially, and we may struggle to build healthy, life-giving relationships, but in Christ, something about us has fundamentally changed. In Galatians chapter 4, Paul describes how in Christ we are now adopted into God's family. He writes, but when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, 
to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba or Daddy, Father. And so we who were separated from God by our sin, our relationship with God is broken. When we accept forgiveness in Christ, we are forgiven and we are adopted as sons and daughters of God. And when we are adopted into God's family, that makes Jesus in some ways our older sibling. And when we are adopted into God's family, that means that we become part of something very big with brothers and sisters in Christ throughout the world and throughout history. Our relational structure is changed completely. But there's more. In Jesus, we are actually invited to abide in him. In John chapter 15, verse 4, Jesus articulates something that is a bit of a command, but it's also a statement about our spiritual condition. In John 15, 4, Jesus says, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Now, there is baked into what Jesus is saying a command, one that we need to understand and figure out how it is that we can obey that command. But along with the command is a shocking promise. Jesus says, abide in me, which means that it is possible for us to abide or remain in Jesus. Jesus has changed everything. He says, I am in you and you are in me. If you are a follower of mine, I am in you and you are in me. That fundamentally changes our relationship with God. In Christ, we abide in God himself. But faith in Jesus actually changes not only our relationship with God and our capacity for relationship with God, it changes our relationship with one another because in Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us the fruit of the Spirit in fact, in what I read to you earlier where Paul was saying, be warned about the works of the flesh, what he was saying is that that's what comes out in you naturally. But he said, if you are in Christ, God puts his Holy Spirit in you. And when the Holy Spirit is in you, changes begin inside of you. God is sanctifying you. And so Paul is telling us to be careful to walk in the Spirit because when we walk in the Spirit, when we let God's Holy Spirit work in us and sanctify us, the produce, the fruit of that spiritual transformation is what begins to come out in us naturally. And back in Galatians chapter 5, now verses 22 and 23, Paul says what that looks like. And look at what he says. The fruit or the produce, the overflow of the Spirit's sanctifying work in our lives, the new lives that we are given in Christ, is that this comes out. Godly love. Godly love is love for others. Joy and peace. Joy and peace begin flowing out of us. Patience with one another, kindness toward one another, goodness toward one another, faithfulness, gentleness, and even being self-controlled. Paul writes, against such things, there is no law. These are the things that begin 
rising up in us and flowing out of us as we walk in the Spirit and are in Christ. That means that our capacity for relationship, for healthy, life-giving relationships is totally and completely different when we are in Christ. That heart of murder, sin, guilt, shame, and violence is replaced by a heart of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And what does this mean to us? What does this mean to you? This means tell yourself the truth about relationships. Then take action. Tell yourself the truth about relationships. Then take action. And what is the truth about relationships? The truth about relationships is that we need relationships. We need relationships. I've told you that in biblical terms. We need relationships. God made us for them, and we are not right without them. It turns out that the reason that the Surgeon General issued that report with that warning is because it actually has profound implications on even our health. I want to read for you from the Surgeon General's actual warning. He wrote, Loneliness is far more than just a bad feeling. Wrap your head around that thought for just a second. It's more than just a bad feeling. Wait till you see the lovely impacts that loneliness has. Ready? It harms both individual and societal health. It is associated with a greater risk, get ready for this, of cardiovascular disease, dementia, stroke, depression, anxiety, and premature death. Premature death. Heart attacks, strokes, dementia, die. He goes on to say the mortality impact of being socially disconnected is similar to that caused by smoking up to 15 cigarettes a day and even greater than that associated with obesity and physical activity. The Surgeon General just told you that what the Bible said is right. We need relationships. I want to encourage you today, tell yourself the truth. Tell yourself the truth about relationships. And then take action. And I want to suggest to you today just some small ways, some humble suggestions about how you can take that action. The first way is to put down devices and walk away from screens. And this is intuitive, of course, but the amount of time that we spend on our devices and in front of our screens is time that we have taken away from relationships. And so when we put down those devices and we walk away from our screens, we create the margin in our lives that causes us to long for and lean into relationships. So put them down. Put down the devices and walk away from the screens. The second thing is join a team, actually. I would say join a group because to me, joining groups is the easiest thing in the world as an extrovert. But it turns out that for many people, joining a team is so much easier because on a team, there is something that we are doing together. And when we do something together, it turns out that it makes it easier for us to relate to one another. And when we are on a team, we are accomplishing something that gives us shared purpose and shared memories. 
and it helps to build relationships. So I would encourage you, join a team here at Valley or through us with one of our partners in the local area. Join a team and watch how you will build healthy, life-giving relationships, particularly with other Christians. If you're not ready to join a team on your own, then I would say, take a next step and we can help. And by that, I mean very pragmatically, if you're with us in person today, all you have to do is walk out those doors, turn right, stop by Connect Point, and say, I'd like to have a next step conversation with someone. And the person will sit down with you with a list of ways that you can choose from to build healthy, life-giving relationships. You get to choose what it is that you hear God saying that you would like to do next, and then we will help you get into those places where you can build healthy, life-giving relationships. But more than any of these things, yes, put down devices. Join a team. Let us have a next step conversation. The biggest thing I would say to you today is just get creative. Because you have better ideas on how to build healthy, life-giving relationships than I could ever give you. I want to say to you today clearly that we need relationships. I want you to tell yourself the truth about that today. Tell yourself the truth that we need relationships. Because if you tell yourself the truth about that and accept the truth of that fact, then you will take action. And when you accept the truth and make a decision yourself to take action, nothing will stop you. I learned so much about the importance of healthy, life-giving relationships, particularly with Christians, on my recent trip to the Middle East and North Africa. On that trip, we stayed in the home of some Christians in a place that I can't say the name of because it would put them at risk today. And I'm gonna show you a picture you may have seen on social media. This is a picture of me and in the home uh, getting ready for a meal. And that dish of food that is in front of me, it, dish is not the right word. I think trough is a better way to describe it. It was massive, it was this big, it was this deep, and it was filled with handmade stuffing that was absolutely exquisite. And it's covered in eggs and sliced almonds, and that's two full-sized chickens on the top of that dish. Two full-size roasted chickens on the top of that dish. You see, in that culture, they make this dish as a celebration meal. And specifically, it is a celebration meal when a mom gives birth to a new baby. There's enough carbs in that meal to help the mom start replacing her carb load. And there's enough carbs in there to choke me. <laughs> we sat down to this meal, and I kept asking myself, why is this family making such a big deal out of us being here? Then as days wore on, I, I learned why. When this family became Christian, everyone else in their family turned their back on them. No one from outside that nuclear family, no grandparents, no aunts, no uncles, no cousins come to visit them anymore. They've disowned them. And it's 
against the law to be a Christian in their society, and the police are constantly harassing them as a result. And so every night, to avoid police action, they are in their house with the doors closed and the blinds drawn by sundown. And their neighbors are actively trying to find problems with them and evidence against them, so they can't have any of their neighbors into their homes. The only people who come into their house are other people from their small house church. And so they are starved for healthy, life-giving relationships, particularly with other Christians. They're starved for what we take for granted. So we showed up to spend some time with them. And they threw a massive meal to celebrate. We need relationships. Tell yourself the truth today about that fact. We need relationships. Take action and build healthy, life-giving relationships, particularly with other Christians. Thank you for joining us for this week's episode of the Valley Avon podcast. If you would like to hear more, you can subscribe for free on any platform you use. If you would like to visit us in person or would like to submit a prayer request, you can visit us on the web at avon.valleycommunity.cc. From all of us here at Valley Community Baptist Church, thank you for coming and have a blessed week.